Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, or as I'm sometimes called on this podcast, Murph Jr. Uh, Catherine Murphy is away this week, but she is covering the Eden Monero by-election this weekend. So we thought you would like to hear her colleague, Paul Karp, go through some of the major issues in this electorate, which, funnily enough, are some of the major issues in politics in Australia right now. I spoke to Paul on our other podcast, Full Story. Here it is. In Eden Monero and the many, many communities that make up the electorate of Eden Monero, they have also experienced more than most, more than many, these terrible hardships. So Paul, why should we care about the Eden Monero by-election? We should care about this election because it's the first test of post-pandemic politics, you know, how COVID as an issue plays at elections. But more than that, Eden Monero has, you know, just survived catastrophic bushfires over the summer. So it's a test about whether people feel that government has looked after them through those disasters. Whether it's fires, droughts, or the one you can't see, and that is COVID-19, it has had a devastating impact on businesses, on families, on communities, right across this very diverse part of the country. Ravaged by the twin crises of the bushfires, then the pandemic, the electorate of Eden Monero now heads to the polls in what will be Australia's first election after a turbulent summer. And over the course of the next few weeks and whenever the by-election is held, there will be that opportunity to affirm a positive and optimistic way back. The build back that is occurring right across, not just the communities of Eden Monero, but right across Australia. Today, what's at stake in the Eden Monero by-election? It's Friday, the 3rd of July. OK, Paul, so where did this all start? It starts with the Labor member for Eden Monero, Mike Kelly. Paul Karp is a political reporter for Guardian Australia. Who many people might remember as a former military officer uh, turned MP, you know, with a, with a large moustache representing uh, this marginal electorate. Old soldiers rarely give up. A lot of uh, <laughs> tough times. 
Sometimes they simply break down. It has broken my heart to have to do this. It's gut-wrenching. In April, he made an announcement. Um, people are aware, I think, that I've been going through some health issues. You know, he called time on his career because of health issues. Um, these are all service-related, going back to uh, my time in the Army. Um, in the last few weeks, the Department of Veterans Affairs has classified me as permanently impaired due to uh, deteriorating osteoarthritis situation. We talked about the difficulty of representing such a large electorate, um, you know, driving around such a large electorate uh, to see all parts and represent all voices there, uh, and also for family reasons of wanting to spend time with his wife. I would have continued on if I felt I could have done the job to the extent that it has to be done in Eden Monero. It's not the seat of Wentworth. It's larger than 66 countries, Eden Monero, these days. It's uh, 42,000 square kilometres of rough terrain, difficult weather, incredibly diverse, incredibly challenging um, with a community that's spread out. OK, Paul, what can you tell us about the electorate of Eden Monero? The middle of the electorate is Queanbeyan, which is a regional city uh, in New South Wales just on the outskirts of Canberra. Mm-hmm. And then it stretches all the way down to the, the south coast, so Bega, Marimbula, the Monero region, the Snowies, including Cooma. And more recently, a redistribution means that it wraps the entire way around uh, the ACT, uh, including Tumut mm. and Yass in the northwest. And what can you tell us about what it's like there? What's the important things we need to know about it? It has a mix of, you know, quite wealthy pockets, um, thinking like, you know, public servants uh, coming from commuter towns like Bungandore and Yass and Queanbeyan into Canberra and, you know, sea changers that live on the on the south coast. Mm. But there are also in pockets of intense rural poverty uh, in, in places like Cabago and, and Captain's Flat. So it's a very uh, diverse electorate, takes in a whole bunch of different industries, things like logging, dairy and cattle farming, you know, apple orchards at Batlow, tourism. Um, so, yeah, tree changers, tree huggers, primary producers and r- retirees <laughs> and public servants, big mix. And what about this seat politically? Where is it sat on the political spectrum? Well, Eden Monero is famously uh, the great bellwether seat of Australian politics. The electorate's been always been a marginal seat, a traditional bellwether seat. From every uh, election from 1972 uh, until very recently, it went with the party uh, that won the election. Mm. That streak was broken in 2016 when Mike Kelly won the seat back for Labor, but Labor didn't form government. For the first time in almost 40 years, the litmus test electorate of Eden Monero has gone against the national trend. And I think it's quite interesting that it, it's gone from being front page news, marginal seat at every electorate, mm. big focus of the election, to at the 2019 election, quite neglected because Mike Kelly had a strong personal vote. Both parties you know, were quite convinced he was going to win it. And there was much more focus on the neighbouring seat of Gilmore. But then Fiona Cotvoy's, the Liberal candidate, came within a few hundred votes of winning it on the back of an anti-Labour swing. So it flew under the radar despite being, you know, a real tussle for, for many decades. 
Okay, so this is a seat that traditionally has been seen as nationally significant. People once looked to it to gauge who might win government. And at the last election in 2019, it was pretty close. How has this by-election played out? So on the coalition side, this kicked off a rather intense pre-selection process. Andrew Constance, uh, the state uh, Liberal MP for Bega, um, he he threw his hat in the ring but immediately pulled out, you know, with, with the day later. They say a day is a long time in politics. I w- am going to be seeking uh, pre-selection. Today... He's out. I want to apologise for the confusion and anyone who's been upset. A backflip worthy of an Olympic medal, Andrew Constance finalising one of the shortest political campaigns in history. Mm. John Barillaro, the New South Wales Deputy Premier of the National, also wanted to get into the race, was told not to, to leave it for Constance, sent a barrage of, of text messages complaining about the way uh, he'd been treated to, to the Nationals' federal leader, Michael McCormack, um, but mm. also didn't end up in the race. It seemed like at one point there was a new candidate every minute. There was a few days there where there was just constant news about these candidates, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the the coalition got off to a really poor start by making making the first story of the by-election campaign uh, sort of infighting about, about, you know, who was going to run for the seat. What ended up happening? When both those two senior New South Wales figures indicated they wouldn't contest it. And the candidate that our party has chosen here locally across the electorate, Dr Fiona Cotvoys, who stood for us at the last federal election. Fiona Cotvoys, who fell about 1,700 votes short of winning the seat but got a swing of about 2% to her, she was in the box seat to be pre-selected on the back of um, that performance. And importantly, she has the local understanding, having been born and bred here, having served here as a volunteer, whether it be in the Cabago Bushfire Brigade or serving in life... What can you tell us about Fiona? Fiona is a development expert uh, who has a farm uh, in the area. The ads also stress, you know, small businesswoman, former teacher uh, and volunteer work for the Rural Fire Service. I mean, Dr Cotboy's has experience and qualifications that people would spend a lifetime aspiring to, let alone achieving. And this is exactly what Eden Monero needs right now. She lives on a family farm in Diggums Creek, which is near Cabago, and a, a big part of her personal story um, is about, you know, defending her property and, and having seen, you know, the, the, the ravages of black summer bushfires firsthand. Like thousands of others, Fiona Cotboy's property wasn't spared by the black summer bushfires. Everyone had burnt five kilometres of fences, a lot of our pasture. We stayed and defended and we were able to save our home and all of our buildings. What about Labor? Where did they land with their candidate? Labor picked their candidate pretty quickly. Anthony Albanese uh, threw his support behind Bega Mayor Christy McBain and, and so she had the, the nomination stitched up pretty quickly. So she remained prominent in the local area through the bushfires, communicating with constituents through things like Facebook Live videos. Uh, yesterday was one of the most challenging in our shire's history with great impact also felt by neighbours to the south, north and west of this shire. She stepped aside as mayor to contest the election. The ongoing bushfire emergency has tragically claimed the lives of some great people and the homes and businesses of many more. But it is 
So these two candidates were really in the thick of it this summer, fighting the bushfires. Can you remind us about the impact these bushfires had on the region? Yeah, so Eden Monero was one of the uh, region's hardest hit by the Black Summer bushfires. More than a million hectares burned, thousands of kilometres of fencing destroyed. People left homeless in communities like Cabago, uh, which you might remember. How come we only had four trucks to defend our town? Because our town doesn't have a lot of money, but we have hearts of gold, Mr Prime Minister. Nah, you're an idiot, mate. He's the town where Scott Morrison tried to visit after the Hawaii holiday and got, got heckled and you know, people refusing handshakes. You really are. Don't be getting any votes down here, buddy. No Liberal votes. You're out, son. You are out. The south of the electorate was threatened by the fire coming up from Malacuta in Victoria. Extraordinary fire behaviour. We saw the, the border fire, which we inherited from Victoria, uh, blew up. You might remember images of people stranded on the wharf at Eden as smoke blocked out the sun. Stay by the water where you have at least a level of safety. We can jump in. That's it. The water, I mean. (laughs) So so, uh, frustration, am I right? Oh, are you right? Yeah, you sure are. And even parts of the electorate that weren't directly affected um, by bushfires were, were covered in, in smoke uh, over, over the summer. Now, hundreds of people, you know, they're still living in tents and caravans, uh, living in burnt-out properties, waiting for their properties to be cleared or, or to get more permanent shelter. There are concerns that the money that's been raised or in the government's bushfire fund hasn't flowed to people quick enough. It's going to be interesting to see you know, whether people are angry at the government about uh, the way they handled this issue or whether the way that they've handled COVID lets them off the hook slightly, dealing with that, you know, second crisis uh, to hit the economy a lot better. So Christy McBain is campaigning on people have been left behind, uh, the government hasn't done enough for the area. And Fiona Cotvoy's argues, well, I'll get more done because I'll be in government and that will help us recover from the bushfires and COVID-19 quicker. Right. And what about the big contributing factor to these bushfires, climate change? Where do the two candidates stand on that? Well, climate change is an important issue uh, for the electorate and in part that's, yes, because it increases the intensity of bushfires. Um, There was a poll commissioned by GetUp that suggested six in ten voters don't think the coalition is doing enough on that issue. Christy McBain, her views are in line with the rest of the Labor Party. She accepts that climate change um, increases the intensity of bushfires and she wants to see more ambitious climate reduction targets. And in the campaign, she has said that, you know, her views haven't changed just because there's a by-election, which is a bit of a dig at the Liberal candidate Fiona Cotvoys, who has said some interesting things about climate change in the past. What do you mean? So Fiona Cotvoys has a long track record of playing down the role of humans in contributing to climate change. You know, she said that solar activity is the primary driver. She said it's a myth that it increases cyclones and that the risk to Pacific nations is overstated because one one Pacific nation, Tuvalu, has increased land mass. She is opposed to, you know, green tape and, and, and thinks that land clearing is a good way to reduce fuel load to prevent the intensity of bushfires. Um, in your submission to the Royal Commission on bushfires, yeah, you've mentioned a lot about um, hazard reduction and um, resilience strategies, but you make no mention of climate change or reducing carbon emissions. Why is that? 
And, you know, more recently she made a submission to the Bushfire Royal Commission saying that governments can't address heat as a cause of bushfires, so they have to focus on managing fuel loads instead. So in the area where I live, the key thing is hazard reduction, and that's a critical factor. The submission I made is about my experience in my area, and I really welcome the fact that we have a Royal Commission and that the Royal Commission is looking at the reasons for the fires from Queensland. Mm, Right, this has been a common refrain from the government post the bushfire crisis, this, this focus on the fuel loads, and some people have critiqued that as a way of not talking about climate change. Yeah, the, the feeling is that just talking about mitigation and adaptation it, it, it leaves out of the conversation that we're supposed to be reducing our emissions so that climate change won't be as, as severe as predicted uh, and won't contribute to more intense and more frequent bushfires. Do you believe that climate change had an, had an impact on the intensity of this year's fires? I'm, I'm looking forward to the outcomes from the Royal Commission because that is looking at all of those reasons And I'm really pleased that the terms of reference specifically identified that the Royal Commission would look at the impact of climate change. But do you personally believe that climate change was a factor in the, like, summer bushfires in this region? So I can speak about the, our area, because that's where I was fighting the fires with the RFS. That's where I was defending our home and our property. That's where the fires actually rolled through our farm. Some of these statements from Fiona are pretty extraordinary and do put her further to the right than some in her party on climate change, definitely different from the messaging from the PM at the moment, right? Well, it seems that she's changed her tune on climate change since running in the by-election. She's clearly aware that she's going to be targeted on this issue. So So I believe that the climate is changing and I believe that humans are contributing to that change. Um, She addressed her views and she said... I accept the climate is changing. I accept that humans contribute to climate change. But, you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed her and mentioned the previous things about solar flares and cyclones and the landmass of Pacific nations. And she said she still, she still believes all of that. So she hasn't recanted any of her previous views, but she says she now accepts humans contribute to it. So Fiona Coppoise has kind of changed her tune on climate change, but has her conservative bent become a, a point of focus in this campaign? Well, yes. I mean, the the local climate campaigners have targeted her on the issue, including um, Matthew Knott, who's the founder of uh, a group called Clean Energy for Eternity. He's warned that she's more conservative on climate change than Tony Abbott, uh, you know, referring to her position on it uh, when she discussed the issue before the 2019 election, saying Australia's contribution to global emissions is is minute. So, yes, she's been criticised for it. This, this isn't the only issue where she could be placed as, you know, more conservative uh, than the, the rest of the, the Liberal Party and the electorate. So, for example, we've reported on the fact that in 2018, Cotvoys made a submission to the Religious Freedom Inquiry, arguing that providers of wedding services should be able to discriminate against same-sex couples, parents should be able to withdraw their children from classes teaching, you know, radical gender theory. And those things are, you know, slightly out of line with an electorate that voted, you know, two, two to one in favour of marriage equality in the postal survey. Next, how the future of the government's JobKeeper program became entangled in this election. As you mentioned, this area is recovering from multiple 
crises. Has that been a defining issue in the election? What have people said about that recovery process? Yes, so because of the fires, um, you know, and the destruction, just ruining the summer holiday season in the south coast and then moving into the COVID crisis, the economic impact of, of those two disasters is, I think, the biggest issue of the campaign. Because the coalition's in government, they have a, a bit more money to splash around on the issue. They've announced $86 million of recovery packages for primary producers in industries like forestry and apple orchards, which is interesting because those are big industries in Eden Monero. In terms of these measures you're introducing today, mm. they're actually quite specific and they'll mainly benefit voters in Eden Monero. So how is this not pork barrelling? Well, I, I think that's a pretty offensive question to people who have lost everything in bushfires. They don't want to call it pork barrelling, but it's it's certainly got one eye on the recovery in this particular electorate. These measures are targeted to areas that have been affected by the bushfires. Labor has less money to splash around because whatever the result in the by-election, they're still going to be in opposition. But they've said things like they will reverse cuts to the ABC, which is a big issue in the electorate because of emergency broadcasting and the importance of local news. Um, and, of course, the success of the project itself. Uh, yeah. You've received Treasury's recommendations on the JobKeeper program and you've ruled out making a decision on the future of the program until after the polls close on Saturday. So is the government concerned about voter backlash in terms of what it does with JobKeeper? No, we, we didn't um, uh, cause the by-election. Another thing that's really important is JobKeeper and the future of economic supports. Um, We have set out a a process for making decisions that is about getting the right decisions and taking all the right advice and considering those carefully. And we said that that would be done uh, for the economic statement, which would be done in late July. Can you break that down a bit? Why are these government support payments brought in during the pandemic so essential to this area in particular? It's very important for voters in Eden Monero uh, to know about the future of programs uh, like JobKeeper because businesses can't afford to pay their workers without a wage subsidy and workers are depending on getting $1,500 a fortnight on JobKeeper instead of unemployment benefits. Or people on unemployment benefits need to know whether they're going to get $1,100 a fortnight with the coronavirus supplement or whether, you know, that is going to be cut back. OK, so what do we know about the future of these payments? Well, JobKeeper is a six-month program with payments slated to end in September, but there's been a lot of discussion about whether, you know, businesses that have recovered should be taken off the payment? Um, Did the payment go on for too long because, um, you know, we didn't expect the health results would be so good and we'd be coming out of lockdown early? So the the government has promised to continue the program until September, but there's still controversy about what it's going to look like after that in, in terms of, you know, whether the hardest hit industries and regions will get JobKeeper or some other form of support. The government got a review from Treasury about what they should do with this program after September, Uh, but when voters go to the polls on Saturday, they won't know the answer to that. The response from the government won't come until about the third week of July um, when they hand out the mini-budget. What is the government trying to hide from the people of Eden Monero and the people of Australia that they won't release the JobKeeper review before the by-election? 
But Labor accuses the government of having a secret plan to cut JobKeeper wage subsidies. The government yesterday made a stunning admission. And Treasury spokesman Jim Chalmers has said that the reason they aren't releasing the review until later in July is that they don't want people to know what they're doing with the payment, you know, whether they're going to be cut off or how it's going to be wound down. Uh, the government will receive the review of JobKeeper before the Eden Monero by-election, but they'll keep it secret until afterwards. Okay, is that true that the government has held off on announcing this nationally significant thing due to this election? Should you be releasing that uh, as soon as you get it? I mean, we do have the Eden Monero by-election in this time. Isn't it fair that the JobKeeper review recommendations are released before then? Well, the Finance Minister, Matthias Cormann, um, has said that's not the reason they're doing it, and he told the ABC that they're taking the time to get the response right. Well, we will release them as soon as the decisions are made. I mean, you know, clearly... So if that's before the um, economic update in July, if it's before Eden Monero, you'll release them? Well, the decisions, uh, you know, will be made prior to the 23rd of July. And as soon as the decisions are made and we're in a position to make announcements, we'll make them, absolutely. In a debate with Fiona Cotfoys... We know there's a review that's been done, which is fantastic, but people are anxious to know what's going to happen after September and they have a right to know. Christy McBain has said that the people of Eden Monero have a right to know about what's going to happen to these payments after September, that they're anxious and that businesses and households need to plan for the future. Um, If JobKeeper is cut too soon, um, the impact uh, on people in this region could be devastating. So I think there has to be... Okay, so it sounds like this is an election where some really big issues of national significance have been debated and have come into play. Has that been reflected in the intensity of this campaign? Yes, it has It has been an intense and dirty sort of campaign. I mean, the other reason Eden Monero has made news is that there's been a vicious uh, disinformation campaign directed at, at Christy McBain. Um, emails circulating, purporting to be from Catholic, you know, email addresses, which the Catholic Church has, you know, completely denied involvement in, that make false claims about McBain mm. and her family members, and even suggesting that she's going to pull out of the contest. What has Fiona said about this? Well, Labor's referred the complaints uh, to the police, you know, particularly the one about saying Christy McBain's pulled out of the contest, and Fiona Cotvoys has condemned the misinformation uh, as well. So, It's clearly a a dirty tactic, but not one coming from the official campaign. Okay, so this is all kicking off this weekend, and we should find out the results this weekend as well. How much significance should we give this results in this election? A lot of people have read into the significance of of this by-election on a national scale. Yeah, a lot is riding on it. It's it's a close contest. Insiders think that Labor's ahead, but the Liberals could still win it. There are a lot of unknowns about whether Labor will lose some of its vote because they don't have the personal popularity of Mike Kelly. Um, or are voters no longer angry about you know Labor going to the last election proposing increases in taxes? A lot of the Liberal attack ads are reminding people about that and trying to make them angry about that. Mm. In terms of the significance of the by-election, if it's a loss for Labor, that would be the first time that a government had won a seat off the opposition in a by-election in 100 years. That would be a big boost for Scott Morrison, whose popularity is very high at the moment because of the handling of the COVID-19 health crisis. And that could start leadership speculation against Labor leader Anthony Albanese. 
So Labor really wants to wants to win this to kind of head off that instability. For the Morrison government, they're going to be in government regardless of whether they win or lose this. It would just be a huge bonus and, and, and cherry on top for, for their handling of COVID if they were to win. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about this election as the bushfire election, the first election that we've seen since this crisis. There was so much criticism of Scott Morrison and the coalition throughout this time. If they still manage to win this seat, what do you think that says? How will that be taken? Well, Scott Morrison has had a had a roller coaster of a year from the depths of unpopularity uh, for taking a, a holiday in Hawaii during the bushfire crisis and those scenes in Cabago just showing, you know, the, the community trust in, in the government response to the bushfires was, was very, very low. But from that low, he's recovered. His personal popularity is in the high 60s. He's, you know, definitely the preferred prime minister over Anthony Albanese in large part because of the, the handling of the health response to COVID-19. So we won't know, you know, which of those issues is more salient to voters, whether they're still upset about the bushfires or whether they want to reward Scott Morrison and the Liberals for their handling of COVID by, by sending Fiona Cotvoy to Canberra. Eden Monero may not be the bellwether of the nation anymore, but it is a hugely significant contest uh, in telling us which of those issues are more important to voters, and that could have significance beyond Saturday into the next election. Thanks for listening. Murph will be covering the election on the weekend and she'll be back on the podcast next week. If you liked this episode, you may like our other episodes of Full Story. You can find it wherever you're listening to this. This episode was produced by Ellen Lee Beater and Joe Koning. Our executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave a rating or a review. Okay, catch you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.